Don't call me, I'll call you. Acts 24, 25. That'll keep you here for a few moments so you figure out what I'm talking about, right? All right. I want to read a passage of scripture to you from Acts, the 24th chapter. The verse I want to focus on is verse 25. But I want to give you a little context and set this up a little bit so you understand what's happening. Acts is a narrative. It is the... uh, It is the history of the early church in the first century after the ascension of Jesus. And uh, it's called, in the the scripture, properly called Acts of the Apostles because it it comprises the things that they did after after his ascension. You see that in the the first chapter. Uh, Jesus is still among them. They ask him what he's going to do about the future. He tells them none of your business. He says, just go up there to Jerusalem and wait, like I told you, and you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. He ascends away from their presence, and and then they go and choose another apostle to take the place of Judas. And then in the second chapter, all heaven breaks loose as the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost, and the church is born and goes out into the world in power and in in conviction, and all kinds of crazy things happen. And so through the book of Acts, it's all this action because God is working through the apostles, through the power of the Holy Spirit, turning the world literally upside down with the message of Jesus, with the message of the gospel the resurrected Christ. And, uh, and, and given generally in the context of the Old Testament, those Jewish, Jewish, Jewish hearers uh, that uh, are, are, are threatened and, and concerned about uh, this, this sect or this, uh, this cult that's popped up, which is called in that time, it was called the way. And uh, we see the church just keeps on marching forward, just like we do, right? Just keep on advancing, keep on going, keep on moving forward. And so in the book of Acts, now the other thing about it is some commentators say, well, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but might more rightly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And I think there's some merit to that because what we see is what happens. I just want to remind you as you read the book of Acts, what, when the Holy Spirit you know, has his way in your life, when you yield to his power, all kinds of incredible things will happen in and through your life. You know that? Y'all a little sleepy now? I have a sung y'all out. Y'all is like, okay, we ready for a nap now, Pastor. (laughs) Can we go to lunch and then come back? So So in in Acts 24, uh, what happens is Paul has been arrested, and uh, he's, uh, having been arrested, he has appealed from the Jewish authorities that are trying to charge him with... um, with creating insurrection, with, um, with uh, blasphemy, with defiling the temple because he visited the temple and, and, and offered worship as a Jew. Uh, they've got these kind of trumped up charges against him. And so what happens is Paul, Paul is a Roman citizen and in very, at various points he strategically uses that to his advantage. And I, what, we, what we believe is that Paul's goal is to get to Rome and to get into the official circles to be able to preach the gospel to those in power in the Roman Empire in that season. So Paul has appealed to Caesar, and so he has to go through this kind of a, this, 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 this hierarchy of, of, of legal uh, wrangling different courts and different people. And so uh, in, in chapter 24, we find him ultimately going before a guy, a governor named Felix, it's interesting because from what I understand, the, the name Felix implies happiness. And as we look at the story this morning in the text, I think we'll find that Felix is probably anything but happy, and he certainly isn't Felix the cat. But <laughs> Governor Felix uh, is the one that Paul is going to have this encounter with. So listen to these words beginning at verse 20. Uh, let's, I'll pick it up at verse uh, 22. Then Felix, who was, and th- oh, let me just let me go back a little bit. Uh, this is after Paul has already begun to give his, his testimony, his explanation, and he's explained what he has done. He has gone back to Jerusalem to give his offerings, that he was ceremonial, ceremonially clean according to Jewish law when he went into the temple, when he was found, and he didn't bring anybody in there. And he said, I didn't cause any disturbance. Some of the Jews who have brought charges against me, and he says, and, and then he points out toward the end of that, like verse 21, he says, this is the real deal because I stood in the Sanhedrin and I made the assertion 
that it is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and it's concerning the resurrection that you guys really have me up here. So he says in verse 22, then Felix, who was acquainted with the way, and that's the one of the popular names for the church during that time, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith, listen to this, faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. I want you to just look at those four words. When I find it convenient. When I find it convenient. When I find it convenient. Now, you got two major players, really three characters in this, in this little, little chunk of scripture. Here's Paul. Now, Paul's on trial for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, he's in jail. He's on trial for preaching, but he goes in jail, and he's using jail as an opportunity to do what? To preach more of the gospel. And so he's in trouble for that, as he often is. He's in, he's in jail because of his testimony, because he declares that Jesus is risen from the dead, because of his testimony, his faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's this Felix, who's um, the appointed you know, uh, governor of, of Judea and historical writings paint Felix as an immoral man. Uh, Tacitus, the historian, recorded that he exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. He's a rather pathetic fellow. And other historians give evidence of him having had a ruthless and violent rule. And uh, he apparently used the services of a, a musician, a magician, to uh, trick this woman, Drusilla, into becoming his third wife. And that was basically tricking her into leaving her husband to come along with him to be his third wife. And Drusilla, Drusilla, I knew, I knew, a, young, I knew a woman named Drusilla, actually, the church I used to go to. And uh, I don't know what has to do with this, but I just thought I'd say it. But <laughs> she was the youngest of, the, of three daughters of Herod Agrippa, and her father murdered James, the brother of John, and tried to kill Peter. And her great-uncle Herod Antipas beheaded John the Baptist. She comes from an interesting lineage, doesn't she? Some violent and evil people. Her great-grandfather, Herod the Great, decreed the mass murders of babies in Bethlehem in an attempt to get rid of the Messiah. In addition, she apparently was, a, was referred to as a seeker of pleasure. And uh, her agreement to marry Felix, after having been kind of coaxed into it, indicates that she's one of those people that's going to have their pleasure and have their fun no matter what. We know those kinds of people, don't we? They want to be happy no matter what, at, at, at whatever the cost and whatever boundaries we overstep. Now, there's a story, it's a legend, but it's, it's a story about the devil. And the devil calls uh, a bunch of demons together, which, is he, which he's prone to do. And he gathers them together and says, listen, I need to send one of you. I need to send one of you into the, into the earth. I need you to go. I need you to deceive people. I need you to be the chief deceiver. You need to understand. You, we need a new strategy. And so one, one of the demons says, well, what we'll do, let's do this. We can, we can, we can tell them that there's no God. And the devil says, nah, nah, nah. The people, human beings kind of innately and instinct, instinctively know that there's some sort of, of God. There's some sort of, 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 of supreme being. So that's not going to work. Then the second one, you know, he steps up. He says, well, here's, here's what, what we could do. We could tell them there's no heaven and hell. Tell them there's no afterlife. The devil thought about it for a moment. He said, that's not going to work. Same thing. People kind of innately know that there's more to this thing than what we see, right? And this, then this, this, uh, this, this third demon, he, he steps up. He says, well, this is what we'll do. Let's tell them that, yeah, God exists. Let's tell them believe in that. Let's tell them that, yeah, there's, there's eternity and all that stuff. But let's tell them, let's, let's, let's whisper in their ear that that. You don't need to be in any hurry, in any hurry to deal with those things, that you can put that off as long as you'd like. You got all the time in the world. The devil said, Aha, 
That is the winning strategy. You go into the world and, and whisper that and let's spread that lie and let's deceive people with that. Because that is the big lie that so many of us are prone to and have succumbed to. And that's the lie of the devil. It's, and it's his best plan. <laughs> Don't call me. I'll call you. What does it have to do with this? Listen, I'm talking this morning about spiritual procrastination. Now, let me explain this because I know in a lot of our, our big mega churches today, you might go and you'll get a sermon on procrastination because there's a lot of self-helpish kind of stuff that goes on there. Let's say, you know, 16 steps to defeating procrastination and about, you know, you need, you know, you, you, I know that you don't mow your lawn in time and your grass gets two feet high and you get a letter from your HOA and it's really bad. And uh, so let's talk about procrastination. I'm not talking this morning about that kind of procrastination. I'm not talking about uh, motivating you to clean up your garage on time. I'm not talking to you about uh, uh, how to work through your to-do list. That's important, and, and that kind of procrastination will rob us of some of our happiness, much of our effectiveness, sometimes our resources. You don't pay that bill. You know, if you get that parking ticket and you don't pay it, and what did the L.A. give you, 20 days, 10 days, and then it's going to double, and if you don't pay after that, you're going to find a boot on your car, right, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. that that's real. It, it costs, and that's important, and there's a time for that. But what I'm talking about this morning is what we see in this text. There's, a, there's procrastination that, is, that, that has various degrees of consequence in life. But there is one form of procrastination that is ultimately lethal to us all, that has in, incredible, far-reaching spiritual significance. And that's this kind of spiritual procrastination that you see here in the case of Governor Felix. You understand what I'm saying? Because in this moment, he is confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a corrupt man. He is a, obviously a sinner. He's someone that does not know the Lord. He's someone that, is, that has lived a, a really reckless life and enjoyed the trappings of prestige and power. And in this moment, Paul, being a prisoner, chooses to preach the gospel to him, to, to share the truth of the word of God with him. And we can see that, he, that he's somewhat affected by it, and we'll look at that a little more closely in a moment. But we see that in, a moment he, he, that, that in that moment he becomes actually fearful. But what he does is what so many of us do when we're confronted with divine moments of opportunity. We say, well, you, you can step off for now. I'll call you back when it's convenient for me. Now is not the time. In other words... Don't call me. I'll call you. Now, I know how to give people the brush off. I know how to deal. I, I know how to deal. Uh, I've, I don't deal with, in this season of my life, bill collectors. But I know how to deal with them. I knew how to deal with the ones several years ago that were calling about stuff from 20 years ago because I knew the, the law and the statute of limitations and stuff. And I said, you know, you ain't even be calling me. But I know how to deal with the salespeople who call me on my, sale, my, on my cell phone. Because I don't like that. So I, I said, don't call me on my cell phone. Don't call me on this phone no more. And I blocked their number. And I, my, my wife knows when I shop. When I, see, I'm, we shop differently. My wife is like a ninja shopper. First of all, she knows how to get the deals. And I've, I've learned that. I've, I've, I've impressed you in these last couple of years. I've come, yeah, I've, I've come up with some pretty amazing. Well, you know, okay, whatever. Don't glow at that. But she, when she's ready to do something, she goes, she goes, Prum. She grabs it and she's done. Me? Okay. I'm going to go look at, I'm going to go to, you know, I'm going to go to this store. I'm saying, look at, okay, look at the prices. And say, I know how to deal with the salespeople who come up and say, can I help you? I say, no, I'm just looking. Don't call me. I'll call you. I'm just looking. And I just look. Then I'll go to another store and look. Then I'm going to compare the prices. I'm going to look at the merchandise. Whatever, you know, if, I'm buy, if I were to buy a suit, I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to probably buy the first one I see I like until I see found out that if I could get something better for less or if there might be something better, like ties, right? You know, guys, you know, we're particular about ties, right? Right. And that was only one of you guys said it. The rest of y'all don't care, huh? That's why I'm, I don't know. My kids, you guys really never bought me ties because you knew that I was kind of, kind of sadity. Did you say bougie? Ushers, would you please escort this young man? But it's a style thing, and ties are very subjective, right? 
And so, you know, I'm not going to, I just, you know, I, you know, it's a process. And so when I go shopping and the guys say, can I help you? No, I'm, I'm looking because I might take me four stores. I mean, I, I wanted a green tie one year. And it, I mean, I spent like weeks <laughs> trying to find, you know, don't call me, I'll call you. I know how to put stuff off and how to push people back. And, but see, and you know how to brush people off too when people want to ask you to help them move. And, oh, that's coming up too. <laughs> Watch your kids. Uh, uh, I'll get back to you on that. But, and there's a lot of things we can push off, a lot of things we can procrastinate. A lot, there's a lot of situations where we can tell people, listen, I'll get back to you. Don't call me, I'll call you. But I'm going to tell you something. What the point of, of today's message is this, that there are these divine opportunities and these divine moments when God is speaking to us and we dare not come at God with that kind of response. We dare not say to God, God, don't listen. In this moment, it's nice. I appreciate your offer. Don't call me, I'll get back to you. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you say, I don't know what you're talking about, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because God is moving and stirring in your life at a certain point, and you you come to this point where you say, well, you know, God, this is, I feel your spirit right now. Oh, thank you for the praise. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for the the Holy Ghost. But, Lord, in this moment, but let me just, I need to get myself together because I ain't ready for this yet. And, uh, And, you know, you feel the moving of God in your life, and he wants to bring you to a point of commitment and bring you to a point of, of, of experiencing, experiencing his power and his grace. But in that moment, you say, oh, no, I can't go with this yet. Uh, come, I'll call you back, Lord, when, at a time when it's a little bit more convenient right now. And sometimes we're crazy enough to tell God, oh, God, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, but I'm going through something right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. If you're going through something, what you need, more than anything or anybody is to have a little talk with Jesus. We say, Lord, I'll wait till it's more convenient. I'll go to church when, when I get... See, that's when you have a church that has flexible dress. You can't use the clothes as an excuse anymore. That I don't, we don't care what, what you look like as long as you're neat and presentable and, and, and decent. But you know what? I, 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 got, I got to finish this up. I've got to work through this. I got to get through that. Don't call me. I'll call you. Spiritual procrastination. See, because again, there's the deal. Procrastination in the garden variety sense. Some of you this morning, you were late to church because you procrastinated doing something that you needed to do before you left home. You didn't put your clothes out last night. Some of you are, or you didn't feed the cat or something, and you got up this morning, you had to do some stuff, and that's okay, but I'm talking about the real deal. Spiritual procrastination is much more severe. The stakes are much higher. David Jeremiah cites uh, two major problems with this kind of procrastination, and the first one is this, that this kind of procrastination fails to uh, take into consideration the uncertainties of life. You see what I'm saying? Think about Felix in in verse 25 of 24 of Acts. Felix behaves as if he knows he's going to wake up tomorrow morning. He responds as if he knows he'll have another chance to talk to Paul and to get his business straight with God. Some of us in our lives, we seem to forget that life is filled with uncertainties and swift transitions and all kinds of complications and that tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. And the core of this message really is to that one, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl who has never asked Jesus Christ into their life because that's what's going on with Felix. Felix is lost and he he yet would presume that somehow he'll have another opportunity to call Paul back in to talk to him. And what happens is that he doesn't do that, except for the fact that he continues to talk to Paul only because he wants Paul to offer him a bribe. That's pretty much it. Two years passes, and then Felix is succeeded by Portius Festus. Uh, uh, But Paul's still in prison. And so... We, we, procrastination fails to consider the uncertainties of life. The, the Bible stresses this over and over again, that life is not this kind of thing that you can, you can, you can, you can be sure that tomorrow is going to be like today. You can be certain that the opportunities that you face in this moment will be present in the next moment, that, that you'll even be here to make up your mind or to find that point of convenience. 
you only really have today. Huh? Because yesterday is past, and tomorrow, and I, I, hate, to, I hate to say this, but it's true. I, I look forward to tomorrow. Monday morning, I look forward to, some of you say, I got to go to work. I've been working all weekend. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I look forward to the I look forward to the dawning of every day. When I, lay, I know like you, when we lay our head on the pillow at night and say, "Lord, now I lay me down to sleep." I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I hope you say more than that. But when we lay our heads on the pillow and pray, we anticipate a sweet sleep and waking up in the morning. I was traveling this week and I was in in uh, uh, I was in Susanville, California, and to get back, I always I do the same trip every year. We uh, and 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 I always hate. I'm traumatized by the return because you got to drive an hour and a half from Reno to get there. So to get back uh, for a 7 a.m. flight, we have, I had to get up at 3.45. And, and I got to bed at like midnight because we didn't get done what we were doing until like 10, 30, you know. And I just, but I just remember you know, trying to fall asleep. But then your, your body, your, something in your psyche said, I'm going to fix you. You ain't going to sleep because you got, you wake up for four hours. <laughs> I'm laying there, come on, come on. I'm waiting for the melatonin to kick in. <laughs> Valerian or whatever, you know, and it's like, because I'm thinking, but the one thing you do, I think about, I said, well, I look forward to hearing that wake-up call, by the way, the hotel wake-up call came like 10 minutes earlier than I asked it to. <laughs> What's up with that? Uh, but, you know, you, you anticipate waking up, and you, you have your stuff all, your, your, your day plan, and you have your thoughts for what you're going to do, right? When you lay your head on the pillow, then none of us thinks about, well, you know what? It might be it. We don't do that. We anticipate the future. We make plans for the future. We think that we, we assume that we have more time. And, and by the grace of God, usually we do. And I hope that you have many, many, many years of life. But the thing about it is we cannot procrastinate the things, the decisions, the commitments, the responses to God, the choices we were called to make in the moment. We cannot, we cannot procrastinate those under the guise of, of, this, of this, this or the premise that, that we are guaranteed that we'll have a day, a week, a month, five years, ten years. Some of us know what it's like because we've been putting something off that's important between us and God because we're waiting for a more convenient space. We're putting off a commitment between us and God to something God has called us to do. And we put it off because, well, Lord, I'm going to get around to that, but I just need a little more time. You might not have a little more time. And when it comes to your soul, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't dare Waste another minute in the moment that you hear the gospel. Make sure that you respond because you don't, tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. <clears throat> Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I would add, you not, do not know that a day may even be brought forth. James 4, I love this, in 13 and 14, he says, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. And he says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's this interesting paradox in Scripture about humans. On one hand, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and we're eternal beings in one, in, 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 with regard to our spirit. Our bodies have a finite life here on this planet. And under the old covenant, they didn't understand quite as much as we do uh, the, the dimension of eternity. But your opportunity to make the decisions that matter exists in this space, and this space is limited. And he says, your life is like a mist. You know what a mist is like, right? If you, if you spray a, you know, a mist into the air, it don't just like, oh, wow, the air has been misty all day. I'm going to fill the room with mist, and we'll have a nice misty room. No, you're going to fill the room with mist, and the mist is going, mist is going to dissipate into the air. It's gone, and that's what our lives are like. And so we have to be careful that we realize this, that, that, that life is filled with uncertainties. And so we dare not, in a spiritual sense, put off the choices and the, and the responses to God and the commitments we need to make today in, in, in the hope that we'll have tomorrow to make that same choice, in the words of Felix, at a more convenient time. And then the second problem with this kind of 
procrastination is that it fails to take into account the uniqueness of conviction. Now, what do I mean by that? You are here today, and you say, yes, we are. That's why we hear you say that. That's very obvious. But you're here, and in this moment, for some of us today, in this space, something particular may have happened that doesn't happen every day. You may have felt a prompting from God's spirit. You all ever have those when you go, when we worship, you ever feel God kind of moving you and challenging you? Some of you may be convicted over something that's going on in your life. I won't ask for a show of hands. Um, no, I said I won't. Max is having a moment uh, in, in Jesus' name. He said, my grandfather's preaching too long. I ain't been up here that long, Max. You know what I'm talking about? In worship, sometimes the spirit of the Lord is moving, and you may in that moment have a, a, a sense of God's presence. Sometimes you feel, uh, you, you, that's why sometimes in church people make, make commitments they don't make otherwise. People don't often call me up during the week and say, what must I do to be saved? People don't usually call me in the middle. You know what? I, did, I was just cooking some, some breakfast this morning, and I just feel like I want to join the church. I feel like I want to go. I want to serve in this. I, I'm, I feel like I'm called. It, when, you, when you're in certain spaces, in certain moments, sometimes when you're in, in your prayer closet, I hope you have one. that's not a literal closet, but that that kind of space carved out in your life to spend time with God. Sometimes in that moment, you'll you'll hear the voice of the Lord, not always an audible voice, not usually. Some people do, but you'll, you you know what I'm talking about, that that inner prompting, and and, and maybe there's an opportunity that's presented to you or a word that God will give you in that moment. But see, this kind of procrastination fails to take into account the uniqueness of conviction in this sense. Those things aren't commonplace, everyday, constant occurrences. And God has a tendency when we tell him, don't call me, I'll call you. He says, fine. But I'm going to tell you in a moment what the problem is with that. You, but but you, you see, th- there's something that, that, that God may have said to you today that if you don't deal with it, you won't hear that voice again. Or if so, maybe way down the road. You understand what I'm saying? Felix, can you imagine what a moment of opportunity for him? He's doing his thing as a governor, and he's adjudicating this case, and God, by his providence, brings before this man this powerful apostle of Jesus Christ who, as well as any of the others, but probably more better than almost anybody alive at the time, can articulate the truth of the gospel and has the gifting and the spirit in his life to the degree to speak pointedly and powerfully to this man. This is a moment. He says, hey, let me get back to you on that. See, there are two kinds of time in, in, in the New Testament. And I've said this often, but there, there is common time. You know, clock time, swatch watch time. You know. So some of you, I have a drawer full of swatch watches from the 90s. But you know, watch time, you know. It's called, in, in, in the Greek, the word chronos. We used, we used to talk about chronology. That's, that's one kind. It's like tick-tock, tick-tock, right? That little hand just keep going around. That, the time you measure, right? But there's another wonderful word for time in, in, the, in the Greek used in the New Testament. And that is the word kairos. And kairos is, does not speak of time in a quantifiable way, but kairos speaks of time in terms of a particular point in time. People speak of the moment of truth. A certain point in time that is the right time, see, that is the appropriate time. There, there are certain moments that are more special than other moments. There are certain times that have a certain a, a particular significance as, a, as opposed to all the other time. You understand what I'm saying? There are these, you know, in your life, you've experienced it in other realms of your experience, that there are just times when it's just like, this is the time for this, this is the time for that. It's like there's this special, and, and, and sometimes in your career, you get to this, this place where there is just this really, this moment of opportunity, and you have to seize that, because if you don't, it will, it will, it will evaporate. Sometimes in relationships, there's this moment, there are these, these poignant moments, and sometimes... 
You know how it is when, you, when you're in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or, or, or even with your children or whatever, when you, you, you're, you're hanging on, you're doing life, and then you get into this, a certain conversation. And then uh, sometimes you ever have, have those? We, we don't have enough of those, I think, today. I think we spend too much time texting each other and Instagramming and Facebook, sitting and looking, face to, looking others in the face and, and just talking. I mean, talk talk and just share your heart and talk about Jesus and talk about what you And you know, so you get to the point that sometimes there's this thing that kind of, there's like an, an aura kind of just begins in the moment. All of a sudden you feel the presence of God. And in that conversation, you kind of talk through things and talk out things. And, and the power of God comes into that in some kind of way. I don't know none of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, you, you're, you're going to ask God to help you experience that. But there's just these moments in relationships where it's just this time. There's like, today God has done something differently. This moment is a turning point. Something new is birthed in my life. That doesn't happen all the time. Otherwise, it wouldn't be something new. Kairos moments. And see, the uniqueness of conviction is that there are these kairos moments that that occur. And the problem is if we don't deal with those, we say, I will get back to you. Uh, Don't call me. I'll call you. I'll get back to you. But the problem is you may come to a point if you don't know Christ as your Savior. And you say, well, you know what? I feel you calling me Jesus. I feel you speaking to me, and I'm going to get back to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, but I'm, I just ain't ready. But I feel the conviction. I feel the tugging of the Spirit, but I just ain't ready. But here's the problem. You say, I'm, I'll be ready next month. I'll be ready six months from now. Going back to the first part, the uncertainties of life dictate that you may not be around next month or next year to make that choice. But the uniqueness of conviction says this, that you may say, I'm going to deal with this later. And and you feel motivated and you feel inspired and you feel called to do it right, to deal with it right now. But what happens is that six months down the line, well, I don't know. I don't really, yeah, I was in, I was at the church that time. I was feeling, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just kind of like not there. I, I just, I, I don't know. See, what happens is there are these moments when the Spirit of God is, is, is moving in your life. And you assume that he's going to keep pulling on that, on that rope. And you're going to keep pulling back from tug of war. And then at some point, he's going to say, you know what? I don't play. He said in, in, the, in the scripture, my spirit shall not always strive with man. So he's poking up and tugging on the rope. And all of a sudden, the rope, he said, hey, you're on your own now. I, my, my, in a, good, a good Arminian Wesleyan word is prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is the grace of God that, that enables sinners in their depraved state before they're saved. It turns their hearts towards God and enables them to choose Jesus. That, that prevenient grace is working in your life, is moving in your heart. God is doing something. You say, well, that, God, not, not, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready for that. God says, okay. You don't play with God. Because you come to the point where you become apathetic. You become uncaring. You are no longer motivated. You don't even care anymore. That's why the Bible says in the day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. God's people in the Old Testament... The the children of Israel, they're out there and God is speaking to them and they're seeing all kinds of wonderful and crazy things God is doing in their lives and he's giving them the covenant and all that stuff and yet they just keep on dissing God and keep on disobeying God and keep on delving into idolatry and after a while God says, okay, I'm stepping back. Don't assume that it's always going to be like it is right now. Don't assume that God is going to be there when you get ready. In one sense, he is because he always is who he is. He's always concerned about you. He always loves you. But there, but what he wants to do in our lives, oftentimes he, he approaches it through a certain time and a certain moment. So it goes like this. When God speaks, the moment is now. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because here's the deal. God's timetable is always perfect. God's planning is always right. God is always right on time. Because here's the deal. You say next week, next month, tomorrow, I'll be ready to deal with it. But again, who's to say that you will be so inclined? God 
chose today as today. And any day in which you encounter him, he chose that day as the day in which he uh, wants to get your attention. And so I want to challenge you. Don't ignore God. Don't, don't turn away from his promptings. Don't put him off. Don't delay. Don't turn back. Don't push back. Because you don't want to miss your moment. You don't want to miss your moment. Again, I believe God can do anything at any time. But there are certain times when everything coalesces in the spirit. And it, it, that is the moment for whatever that thing is, right? Oh, there's deliverance all, always available for you in whatever is, 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 is corrupting your life, whatever is holding you captive. But there are certain moments, you know, you, you, you know, by the grace of God, you can fight yourself through and out of anything. Oh, but there are these moments. You remember the man, at the, 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 the lay man at the pool of Bethesda, right, uh, in, in, in the Gospels? And, and uh, the, it was pretty much probably superstition. But the way it worked was this pool would bubble up and, uh, you know, the, 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 whatever. And if, if you could get in there fast enough, you could be healed. And he's by this pool for years and years because he's so crippled and, and nobody will get him in there and everybody runs before him. Right. And again, that's not that God really heals through jacuzzis that turn on and off. But it's more like but it's a picture of this, that there we talk about the troubling of the water. There are moments when there there are these special moments when God does stuff that doesn't happen ordinarily. And he does it in a special way that takes us to a greater place. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there's, there's deliverance in your life. You can always find it, but there's, there's this, this, this wonderful and tremendous and dramatic work of deliverance that happens in that moment when God, God is, has set out and has, has, has designed it to happen. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Joel 3.13 says this, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of indecision. For the day of the Lord is near in this valley of indecision. You know, he, Joel said, there's this... There's this big valley, and, and then look in the world around us. Look in the church around us. We're, it's like a lot of us live in the valley of indecision. We go to church week in and week out, and we hear the word, we, and we can't wait till we read the benediction, hit the door, and we go out the door the same way we came in. And we give nary a thought to what we heard and to what the promptings of the spirit. And we, the thing about we were in, we were in worship and we get our praise on glory. Hallelujah. And we dance, and we shout and all that stuff. And we have a wonderful time. And, and, and the spirit of the Lord is moving in our lives. And as soon as we get to the offering time, we start thinking about what we're going to do later on this afternoon. And, and, and we miss that opportunity. We, we, time and time again, we, we have those times where God is is trying to pull us into something new or trying to push us into something new, trying to inspire. But we're in that valley of indecision. Oh, Lord, when I, I, I'm thinking about it when I find it convenient. And I understand that in dealing with the postmodern mindset and presenting the gospel, people really do need space in, to assimilate and to, 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 to process it. We understand that. But I don't care who you are, whether you're a hipster or postmodern or baby boomer, or you were born in 1843, whoever you are, in the moment that God shows up, in that moment is the optimal moment and the prime moment for you to receive what God has for you. Second Corinthians 6, 2. Yeah. Second Corinthians 6, 2 says, he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you in a day of salvation. I helped you. Look, this is what God says. Now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. So now let me just recap real quick what we just talked about. We're talking about these two issues. We're talking about the issue of opportunity and the issue of inclination. Opportunity refers to the opportunities that God will present for us. Be careful that we, that we, that we don't be, be careful of failing to recognize the, the whole issue of the uncertainty of life, realizing that the opportunities that come, you may, A, not be able to partake of because you might not be here next week, or B, with regard to inclination, there are things that you may put off that you would be inclined to respond to and say yes to today, but at another season in your life, after the cares of this world, remember the parables of the, of, of, of the, of the, of the seed you know, the, and, and the sower? Some of those seeds, you know, you're, you, you're worried about all kinds of stuff. You've got the cares of this world, and you, you may not be so inclined so be careful that we don't miss that. 
The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is, that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and we refuse to hear, what happens is our hearts can grow calloused. I, I, I have pretty smooth hands now. Years ago, I was a, when I was an electrician, I had a lot of calluses and a lot of cuts. But I have, I have baby hands. No. What do you think, baby? Like my, like my grandson. And I was working on learning guitar. And that, see, I hate it because I start and I stop. You know why it's bad? Because to play guitar, you need calluses on your fingertips. And so, and it hurts to, to go through that process. But I was going through, but you know what calluses are like, right? Take a look. Like, can you imagine your heart? And the calluses are hardened, tough skin that are more, that, that, that are hard, it's harder to penetrate. And our hearts become calloused. Our hearts become hard. Our hearts become tough and difficult to penetrate. We build up little by little those layers of resistance. We have to be careful about that. Uh, we, our hearts become hardened by, in the words of Scripture, the deceitfulness of sin. And then finally, we end up in a place where we are literally deaf to the voice of the Lord. We don't want to get to that place. Now, let's go back to, to Felix. Felix, he heard these words from Paul. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it says in the text, it says, uh, it says, Paul talked about righteousness. Paul's talking about how to get saved, isn't he? Talked about self-control. He's talking about how this gospel and the spirit of God will get your life in order. Talking to somebody who's lived out of control. He talks to him, he says, about, about the judgment to come. Talking to him about about eternity. And it says this, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. I'll call you. Don't call me, I'll call you. I'll call you when it's convenient. Now is not the time. But look what he says. He says, he was afraid. Now, I was thinking about this and I'm thinking, I wonder, as Paul is speaking, that he ends up afraid. I wonder, I wonder maybe for a moment if while Paul was talking about righteousness, in his mind he is forming just for a moment a picture of what his life would look like if he, was, if he were freed from the ravages of sin, and from the penalty and from the, the guilt of his sin and shame. Maybe just for a fleeting second as Paul is talking about self-control, he, he, there's something inside of him that is touched by the idea that maybe there's a life beyond dissipation and, and out-of-control living. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you heard the gospel and you said, there's another way to live rather than the crazy way I've been living. Um, Maybe just for a moment when, when Paul's talking about judgment, Felix is saying, in it, just in, in the back in the corner of his mind, just for a fleeting second, there's this beautiful picture of, wow. I'm sure that up to this point, Felix is probably not thinking too much about the judgment to come because Felix is not in a good position to deal with that. So, you know, Felix is probably the, the, the ladies and the wine and all that. You know, that, that's, all that helps to anesthetize the ultimate concern that, I don't know what happened when I die. You know, folks are scared of dying whether you believe in eternity or not. But maybe just for a moment, he, I mean, flashing before his eyes, there's this, this, this possibility that life could be better. Possibility that he could be clean. Possibility that he could be a virtuous person. He knew he was a rascal. Possi the possibility that, that his life could be something more than it is, than it was. But then he was afraid. You know, what I, you know how that works, right? You, let me, if you don't, let me, you know, he, he, for a moment we're confronted with, with, with the, not only the conviction of sin, but the, the, the thrilling proposition of what could be. Sometimes it happens to us in, 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 in church and in times when God is dealing with you and you're reading your Bible. All of a sudden you see something, you see somebody and you read a story, you read a, a text. It's like, wow, I can do all things through Christ. Wow. You say, wow, that's, I could live this. I could, I, could, I could walk in his promises. 
I could, I could stand in his power. I could live with victory. I, I, I could, I could, I, he's, you, you, he just he says, you know, that you're seated with him, with Christ in heavenly places. You say, wow, this, I, I, I got to, there's a transcendency that, that's available to me to where I don't have to just walk as an earthbound creature, but I can live as a citizen. Oh, that's exciting. But then, in the blink of an eye, fear sets in. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Oh, fear of commitment. None of you know anything about that, I'm sure. It's like, I could be saved. I could be forgiven. I could be healed. My life could be radically changed. But man, I got to stop doing all the stuff I like. Oh, I love the church. I know, I've, been, I've been hearing this for 24 years. I love this church. Your church is, I love the, the, love the people. I love the music most of the time. I, lo- I love the pastor. I love the seats. Even when we had old seats. I love, it's just so, it's beautiful in here. It's nice. I feel peaceful. I come in here. I, I, I'm signing me up. So there are people that join the church. I don't call them and join. They say, I want, I want to join the church. Hey. And, and then you never see them again. You know why? Because they start thinking, if I join, it's one thing. It's like the difference between dating and being married, right? When I'm dating, you go home, I'm going home. I'll call you next week. When you're married, you got to go home together. I got to see your mug all the time. But if you're dating, I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have no money. Sorry, if you're married, it's like, oh, yeah, here you go. If I just go to church, it's like, well, it ain't no big deal. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, you, you can go in and you can do the Baptist thing out. <laughs> and, you know, you out of here. And, you know, you're gone. And like, but if you join, you say, somebody might ask me to do something. Cheryl going to be trying to get me to bring some food to the, to the Easter breakfast. <laughs> Pastor Charles going to ask me to serve on this board, the usher board, or the, some kind of board. And then when they pass the bucket, because they don't use a tray, they use a bucket because they got big faith. When they pass the bucket, then, then people going to be looking at me and they're going to expect and, and they may be looking back in there, oh, they, I got it to it. So, man, I, I, see, I, I love this, but I see y'all. I'm scared. scared. We're scared of commitment. I, we do this dance with people all the time. We are scared of commitment, aren't we? And so God speaks to you in the moment. God says, I can turn your life around. I can change your situation. I can give you joy that you never had. I can give you peace that passes all understanding. And we say, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What's it going to cost? What do I have to give up? What, how committed do I need to be? Oh, and then we have fear. Fear of losing control. That's the funny one. You know why? Because you weren't in control no how. Oh, but I, I don't want to give up my autonomy. You didn't have no autonomy. <laughs> I, I, I don't want nobody else telling me what to do. Let me tell you something. If you ain't walking with Jesus, if you're not serving God, somebody's telling you what to do. Jesus said this, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, Bob Dylan said, or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And so, listen, you know, with fear of losing control, oh, if I get, if God, if I say yes to you, oh, and you know, sometimes when some of y'all just, some, I'm going to tell y'all, I'm going to tell you guys this. When you're in, when you're in, 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 in worship, some, you, you, sometimes you just need to go with it. I'm not, you know, we're not a f- crazy, frenzied, yeah. imbalanced, wigged out church. But some of you, God is like doing deep things in you. You're just trying to hold it. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. No, no, no. Calm down. Easy does it. Easy does it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, some of you need to just get up sometimes. And, and some of you, come on, you remember when you were coming up in the Baptist church, and you remember when, the, when they, would just, they would just run those aisles? You know what I'm talking about? People just run. I don't advocate that as some sort of spiritual discipline, but if you feel the Spirit of God and you feel like shouting, you need to go with it because in that moment, you don't know what God is trying to release in you. If you feel like praising him, if, you, if, if tears start to flow, you don't say, oh, let me know. I don't want nobody to see me crying. You need to go with it. 
if God is calling you to a commitment and we're, we're giving a response, then just say yes to God and, 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 and listen to what he's saying and go with the moment. Don't try to fight it because you fear you're going to lose control. You're not in control anyway. The other one is we have this fear that we're going to lose the opportunity to keep our options open. That's what my, that's my issue with shopping. I, I like options. I, that's, that's a big issue of American culture right now because you know how it is. It's kind of crazy now when you buy stuff because it used to be if you're going to buy a thing, whatever that thing is, there were maybe two or three versions of that thing at two or three places. And, uh, you, you know, I mean... <laughs> When I was coming over, there's a lot of stuff. You used to go to Sears, and you were cool. <laughs> and your mom even bought your clothes at Sears, right. which was much to your chagrin as you went to school and got beat up. <laughs> Newberries. It was actually Newberry, right? But listen, listen, listen. Well, we, but options. Now you want to buy something. There are like 5,000 different versions of it in 5,000 places. You start at Amazon, and you go from there. And we, and we got options, but we want options. And we, we're afraid. And so we want the option of living committed to God or living kind of, you know, slipshod. We want the option of being able to, to, to serve God when we feel like it, but we don't want to be so moved by the Spirit that we're like, we don't want to get fanatical about these. You weren't, you weren't concerned about getting fanatical when you was in the club. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to really, you know, I'm just... Uh, you were all up in there. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> told you. When they told you the next day what you did, you were embarrassed. And then we're afraid sometimes of giving up those things that we hold dear that really, in essence, are, if you will, our spiritual kryptonite. There's certain things that you love and you hold to and you don't want to release thing is those things are killing you those things are sapping you of your power making you you're weak like superman sometimes it's it's unhealthy or unwholesome or toxic relationships that you just can't let go yes oh god don't take this from me please I said, I'm trying to help you up in here. I'm trying to, to, to deliver you from something that, that's trying to kill you, that's sapping all of your spiritual life and vitality. Talk about, talk about habits and addictions. So, oh, man, I, I sure, I, I know I need to give up this crack pipe, but, but man, that's my crutch. Uh, that's the only crutch you got. You, you, all your legs are broken and your arms too. But, but that's what you know and that's what you love and that's what you hate to give up. Sometimes it's even, even our bitterness becomes that. Oh, I, I, I know I need to forgive, but I, this, this anger is what I'm used to. This is, it's what's near and dear to me. This is my persona. I find solace and comfort in my bad attitude. And I could use it to fend people off and push them away. God says, yeah, but your anger, your bitterness, your resentment, it's killing you and it's robbing you from my greatest blessings. We're afraid of freedom. Sometimes we wonder what it will be like to not be controlled by the things of the world. And so, when we're convicted by the Spirit of God, I'm almost done, and God speaks in the moment. When he calls you out of sin, when he calls you out of maybe a given relationship, when he calls you out of an addiction, then rather than saying this, I'll deal with it when I find it convenient. We need only to look as far as the realm of addiction to see how that works in the culture around us. Because if you read the news, every week somebody has died in a state that they have been in for a long time and for years. They were telling people, I'm going to deal with this when I, when, when I get ready. I can't. I'm, 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 going, I'm getting around to it. I know I got a problem, but I'm just... I'm going to deal with it when I find it convenient. And then they find them in a hotel room somewhere, dead. They find them behind a a building somewhere, dead. They find them. They're gone because they never, because it never became convenient. Talking about convenience, understand this. It will never be more convenient 
than it is right now to do what it is God wants you to do. It will never be easier than right now to respond to, to what God wants you to do. There's never going to be a better time. The best time will always be now. It'll never be an easier time. We chase that, 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 that convenient time and it's not there. It's an elusive ghost. It's a dream. It doesn't exist. So God will enable us in this moment. It won't, it, it won't be easy. But it'll, I mean, it'll never be easier. But in this moment, it will be easier than it would be otherwise. Because in this moment, the Spirit is moving, and the oil of the Holy Spirit is a kind of lubricant that will ease the transition and walk us through what, what it is we need to go through. God is with us, and God empowers a decision that we make in the right moment. So I challenge, I challenge you, to, it's never going to get more convenient. But you may find that if you keep pushing God off to find that more convenient moment, you will miss your moment. And so you'll find that if you keep pushing off that moment, you, you, you may find yourself at a place where you just don't care. So you end up staying the same. You end up missing the abundant life, the good life. You end up missing the most excellent way. You end up missing the greater blessings of God. You end up missing the freedom that could be yours. You end up missing the promise of eternal life. You end up missing all the things that God has prepared for you because you are waiting for a more convenient time. I want to ask you this. I'm almost done. I want to, I want to personalize this a little bit. What are you waiting for? The enemy, Satan, the devil, he is going to make sure that you never find a convenient time. It's like that proverbial carrot that he'll always be moving. He'll always be chasing it, but never finding it. Let me tell you something about the, the moment when the word of the Lord comes to you. It may not be convenient, but that moment will be pregnant with possibilities. That moment may not be easy, but... It is the moment that will shape your destiny and, and form your character. It may not be convenient, but God is at work in you and will see you through. It may not be easy, but the Spirit will empower your decision. But you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. We need to, I'm, I'm done. let me wrap this up, I'm done. But we need to be more like Isaiah. Remember we talked about him a few weeks ago? And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then after the seraphim touched his, his um, lips with the coal, he says, then I heard the Lord say, I heard the voice of the Lord say, who will go for us, and who shall we send? Now, the text doesn't record that Isaiah said, hmm, that there is an interesting proposition. I'm going to go and pray on that and think about that and you know, I got, that might be something I want to get into. God is doing something. I hear, I hear a conversation among the Trinity. That, that's something I might, I might be willing to kind of check that out. Now you see how it goes down in the text, right? God speaks to God. Whom shall we send? And who will go first? And whom shall we send? He said, here I am, send me. You see, some of you are afraid to make commitments in the moment because you're afraid you're not going to keep them. Get over it. Have the courage. Have the faith. Have the confidence in God to, to when, when he speaks to you to say, you know what? I don't understand what he's, what's going on. I know I, that, that I don't understand all of what's involved, but I just, I, I, you've got to develop a little bit of a godly impulsivity to where when the impulse of the Spirit is working in your life, that you're willing to say, yes, and we, we, we have become too sophisticated, too intellectual, too, too contemplative where we always, God speaks to me, well, God, let me think about that and get back to you. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me just, let me mull it over a little bit. Let me, ah, no, here I am, send me. Sometimes you'll feel as though your step of faith is in vain, right? Sometimes it'll seem that, well, man, what's the point? And I know you think you're going to have those second thoughts. You, ever, you know buyer's remorse? You buy something and then you're like, I wish, especially when you buy something and the policy is no return, no refunds. 
I bought a car once. It was like, it was a used car from some Russian guys in Hollywood. And, I, and for the first three months I had that car, I kept thought, feel, feeling I was feeling weird things. I thought, because it was a really good price. It was a really nice car. And it was like too good to be true. And I was like scared of that. Why did I buy this car from these Russian guys in Hollywood that seemed really shady for cash money? And then after about four or five months, I realized this car was perfect. The car was smooth. I drove that car all the way to Atlanta. I drove it all the way back from Atlanta when I moved back. I drove it all around Atlanta. And when I came back, it was parked in my mother's driveway, and they stole it from me. So it was all right. But I was scared, and we think we'll have buyer's remorse when we're going to make this. Don't worry about that. Let the Holy Spirit deal with that. He will carry you through. But we need to, and I'm not asking you to have faith in yourself, but I'm asking you. To put your faith in the one who says that he will complete the good work that he started in you. The one who says that that he works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So, let me wrap this up. What are your Felix issues? Where is God working in your life where you're saying to God, God's saying now is the time, let's deal with this. And you're saying, God, don't call me, I'll call you. I'll get back to you on that, Lord. Maybe it's in the area of salvation. Maybe the the Spirit of the Lord is tugging at your heart to make Jesus Lord of your life. And you're saying, you know, I know. I just got like a couple more things I want to do. I just need a little more time. You might not have that time. Maybe it's consecration as a Christian. And the the Spirit of the Lord is is, is calling you to be a little bit more, to be committed. Not a little bit more. Be completely and fully committed and faithful to God. And maybe, you know, you know in your life you kind of ducking and dodging and, 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 you know, and you say, well, you know, Lord, I, I'm still, I'm still young. I'm still, I'm still young. I, I got, I, I got time. You don't know if you have time. You don't know. Maybe there's something God is calling you to do. And you say, Lord, I, I know you want me to serve you. I know you want me to work in the church. I know what you want me to be in ministry and, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to get to it. And God says, you don't know if you're going to have time to get to it. And if you do it, when I call you, it's going to be wonderful. When you do it, when you want to do it, you're going to struggle because it's your thing in this moment. It's my decision. And I am, I'll empower your choice, your response to my decision. Maybe it's leaving behind sin, leaving behind an addiction, leaving behind a toxic relationship, stepping up into new ministry, new areas of service, new commitment to Christ. What is your Felix issue? I want to pray. I want you to stand. We're going to pray and close this.